Beloved congregation, turn with me for a moment to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. By way of introduction, I just want to briefly comment on verse 3. Verse 3. Where Paul writes, but I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And so what Paul is referring to is to what happened in Genesis 3. What was the subtlety that the serpent used to beguile Eve? He spoke ill of God. What the devil did, he misrepresented the character of God. He called into question what God had said. Hath God said? And so by doing that, he cast doubts in her mind. And then when he further added that really God was withholding something from them, that God was not really whom they thought He was, He succeeded in causing our first parents to fall. That grievous moment when our first parents treated God as a liar by not believing what He had said. And that same devil is always at work to do the very same thing. That same devil is always out to beguile us. That same devil always seeks to misrepresent the character of God. That was the sin of the friends of Job. That's why it is so remarkable what we read in that last chapter where God calls them all on the carpet and where he confronts especially those three older friends of Job, and twice he said, you have not spoken concerning me that which is right. You have misrepresented me. You have misrepresented my character. You have misrepresented my word. And those men would have died if Job had not sacrificed for them. And so it is a very grievous thing. It is a grievous thing when other human beings misrepresent our character. What an offense that is. And just imagine what it is when God's character, when God's name is misrepresented. A congregation, that's why it is my task, it is our task to set before you who the God of the Scriptures is, who the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is. One of the most remarkable passages of Scripture that sets before us the true character of God, that sets before us who He is, also in His loving care for His children, it is Psalm 23 probably one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture, a passage that all too often is quoted very glibly by people who have no clue as to who that shepherd is. That doesn't take away from the fact that it is an extraordinarily precious portion of the Word of God. 
And during this month, with God's help, I hope to expound this psalm for you one verse at a time. And with the permission of my consistory, I will be doing two messages today, two messages next week, and then I will begin with the Heidelberg Catechism. This will enable me to conclude the exposition of Psalm 23 by the end of this month, and then next month we hope to focus on the passion and the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us turn to Psalm 23, Psalm 23 a psalm that hopefully most of you know by heart. And this morning we will focus on the opening verse of Psalm 23, a psalm of David. These short but precious and profound words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so, The theme of this verse, of course, is very simple. Boys and girls, you will be able to understand that as well. So in this opening verse, David confesses that the Lord, in capital letters, Jehovah, is his shepherd. Not only his shepherd, but ultimately he is the shepherd of Israel. He is the shepherd of his children until this day. And as you will see in the text, the text consists of two components. The opening statement, the Lord is my shepherd, that is David's confession. And secondly, I shall not want, in which he expresses his confidence. So two simple points. A sweet confession, the Lord is my shepherd, and a sure confidence, I shall not want. We know that David was the sweet psalmist of Israel, that God used David to record the majority of the psalms in the book of Psalms, a book that is so precious to the children of God. And what makes the book of Psalms so very precious is that the book of Psalms records the struggles of God's children. It records their ups and it records their downs. It expresses the reality of the spiritual life of God's children. That's why the great reformer Martin Luther was so very fond of the book of Psalms. And because of his training and his upbringing, he had basically memorized the entire book of Psalms. And Luther has famously said... And this is a paraphrase. He said, when you read the book of Psalms, you are looking into the hearts of God's children. And throughout the ages, God's children have never found themselves in circumstances in which there was not one psalm that so expressed what they were dealing with themselves. That's why this psalm, this Psalm 23 has always been so very precious to the people of God. We can almost call it, as one commentator refers to it, as the creed, the creed of God's people throughout all the ages. And Psalm 23 is considered a jewel among the book of Psalms. 
It's also interesting where Psalm 23 is placed, the context of Psalm 23. It's preceded by Psalm 22 and followed by Psalm 24. And there's a remarkable connection between those three psalms. Because in Psalm 22, the focus is on the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ and also his exaltation. So the focus of Psalm 22 is on the mediatorial work of Christ. Or to put it simply, in connection with this psalm, Psalm 22 focuses on how the shepherd of Psalm 23 would lay down his life for his sheep to secure their salvation. And of course, Psalm 23, as we will see, focuses on the care of the great shepherd for his sheep. And then in Psalm 24, we have a prophecy about the coming again of the great shepherd of the sheep, ultimately to bring his sheep home. And so Psalm 22, let me repeat it again, focuses on the suffering of the shepherd, Psalm 23 on the care of the shepherd, and Psalm 24 on the ultimate glorious return of the shepherd. One commentator puts it this way. It's not original with me. Psalm 22 focuses on the cross. Psalm 23 focuses on the crook, the shepherd's crook. And Psalm 24 focuses on the crown. So the cross, the crook, and the crown. And of course, there's a reason why David in this psalm uses the shepherd sheep analogy. As you know, boys and girls, David grew up as a shepherd. He had a lot of experience being a shepherd and caring for sheep. And of course, God used that to prepare him to become the shepherd of his people as the king of Israel. He too was the shepherd of the people of the Lord. And it's most likely that David wrote this psalm near the end of his life, when he reflected on his life, on all that had happened, with all of its ups and downs, with all of its trials, with all that he had endured. And we know that many things happened in David's life, positive things and very negative things. Also, his life was stained with sin, sometimes very grievous sin, especially when he fell into sin with Bathsheba and all that came out of it. And yet when David, at the end of his life, when he reflected upon his life, he was filled with holy wonder as to how the Lord had cared for him, how the Lord had provided for him. And so moved by the Holy Spirit, he sat down to write this psalm. And he said, just like I was the shepherd of my sheep, so the Lord is my shepherd, and therefore I shall not want. And to appreciate what David is saying here, we need to have some understanding of what a shepherd did in Israel. We must not think of a shepherd as merely somebody who had a day job, and who looked after the sheep. It was much more involved than that. When you were a shepherd in Israel, you 
were completely identified with your flock. That flock belonged to you in a very special way. There was a special relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. They belonged to him. And when you were a shepherd in Israel, you were committed to the well-being of those sheep. You were committed even to the point where you were willing to give your life for the sheep. And so David tells us that when he was a shepherd, that he was able to ward off the attack of a lion and the attack of a bear who would have destroyed his sheep. And that describes the character of a shepherd, a shepherd who loved his sheep deeply. A shepherd would know all of his sheep by name. He would know their character, and he would do everything in his power to care for his sheep, to provide for his sheep. And of course, sheep need a shepherd. Because congregation, sheep can ultimately not survive without a shepherd. Sheep sheep are very foolish, stubborn animals. Sheep are animals who would self-destruct if a shepherd would not look after them. For example, if a sheep would fall down and would end up on its back, that sheep cannot get back on its feet without the help of a shepherd. And the sheep would perish. Sheep are utterly defenseless against enemies. And so even during David's days... A shepherd always had to be on the lookout for animals of prey who would always be tracking the pathway of those sheep, always looking for a wandering sheep, a weak sheep to pounce upon. And so a shepherd would always be on the alert, always be on the lookout to make sure that stumbling sheep would be picked up and put back on their feet, always making sure that None of his sheep would go astray, always making sure that the animals of prey would not be able to get one of those sheep. And so it's very humbling that God's Word compares God's people to sheep. Because congregation, that sadly describes the people of God. We too are so inclined to go astray, so prone to stumble, so prone to wander away from the shepherd. We too are so very vulnerable to the attacks of our spiritual enemies. And so if it were not for the special care of the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, we would absolutely perish Were it not for his special loving care, there is not a single one of those sheep that would ultimately make it to the house of the Lord. For that is, of course, how the psalm ends. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David himself realized that he had behaved himself as a foolish sheep. He realized that if God had not cared for him as a shepherd, he would have perished along the way. And so his heart just overflows. His heart is overwhelmed when he considers his life. And with with spiritual joy, 
He cries out, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one who has cared for me all of my days. The Lord is the one who has kept me. The Lord is the one who has preserved me. David would have fully concurred with what Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 verse 25. For ye as sheep are going astray. You were as sheep going astray. If you know your Bibles, you know that Peter is quoting uh, Isaiah 53. But now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And that's the story of the life of every believer. Because obviously, this psalm applies to believers. This is a psalm that applies to the true sheep that belong to the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I already said earlier, far too often, people quote this psalm glibly. You can hardly go to any funeral without seeing Psalm 23 printed on the, on the little handouts. As if this psalm is applicable to all men, regardless of who they are, regardless of how they live. That's obviously not the case. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, who are these sheep? The question we need to ask ourselves is, do we belong to these sheep? Are we one of the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because only then is what is written in this psalm also applicable to us. So how can we know whether we belong to the sheep? Well, we will let the Lord Jesus speak for himself. So take your Bibles and turn with me again to John 10. And we will hear what Christ has to say about his sheep. John 10. Verse 14. Verse 14 of John 10. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, and here it comes, and am known of mine. So not only does the shepherd, and he did, he knew his sheep intimately, but the sheep also knew the shepherd. They knew him. They recognized him. They would never be confused by another man. They knew who their shepherd was. And so the sheep of this shepherd, they know this shepherd. They love this shepherd. I spoke of that briefly already last Sunday. One of the most foundational marks of grace is that we love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. So I ask you, boys and girls, you too, do you love this shepherd? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Has Christ become precious to you? Do you know him? Do you know him in some measure? Because all of God's children know this shepherd. Some know more of them than others, but they all know him. And by the Holy Spirit's work, they grow in the grace and knowledge of this Lord Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
When he works savingly, as I said last Sunday already, the reason he convicts of sin, the reason he empties us of all of our righteousness, because his goal is to glorify Christ. His goal is to take out of him and to show it unto us. His goal is to make Christ precious to our soul as the only name given under heaven, as the suitable and altogether lovely Christ who saves to the uttermost. And so the Holy Spirit, to to use a very simple expression, the Holy Spirit causes sinners to fall in love with that shepherd. He so works that this Christ, this shepherd, becomes precious to our souls. I am known of mine. Do you know him? Not do you know of him, but do you know him personally? Do you know him experientially? But he says more. um, Verse 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. They will hear my voice. And then in the verses that I read to you later, verse 27, it's the same thing. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So three things Jesus tells us about the sheep. They know me, they recognize my voice. And boys and girls, in that culture, shepherds would often come to the same watering hole. And all of their sheep would mingle. And you would say, how would a shepherd ever know which sheep are his? Well, what they simply did after the sheep had all all been drinking, they would start walking away. And the shepherd would begin to call out the names of his sheep. They all had a name. And they recognized his voice. They did not follow another. They followed him. And so God's children, they know the Savior. And they also recognize the voice of the Savior. In other words, for a true believer, the word of the shepherd becomes so precious Is God's Word precious to you? Is that why you came here this morning with a desire to be instructed from that Word? Did you come here prayerfully that you would hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ? So they know Him. They know His voice. And it says they follow Him. They follow Him. There is no no such thing as being a believer without being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we read that all through Scripture, that those who come to Christ will also follow Christ. And all because they love His voice, they take His voice seriously, they take His word seriously. So as the shepherd would walk away, Those sheep would not dream of following another man. When they heard his voice, they would follow the shepherd. So I had to explain this congregation because I want to make it very, very clear who we are talking about. But if by the grace of God, if by the grace of God this is true for you, that you know this shepherd, that this shepherd has become precious to you, 
that you love to hear his voice, that you recognize his voice, that you hear his voice, that you follow him. Oh, how marvelous this psalm then becomes. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, you see in your Bible, the name Lord is printed in capital letters. Boys and girls, I want you to pay, to pay attention to this. And you will hear this often from me. Whenever we encounter it, I will speak about it. Because that name Lord in capital letters occurs almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament. It is God's most glorious and most preeminent name. It is a beautiful name. A name that expresses the glory and the fullness of His divine being. But especially that name focuses our attention on the fact that He is the God of salvation. That name opens up for us the heart of God. That name reveals to us that He is the God, not only who created the heavens and the earth, but that He is the God of redemption. He is the God who sent His only begotten Son into the world to save sinners. We could say that in that name, Lord, that name, Yahweh, I am that I am, that the entire gospel is wrapped up in that name. And so in the Old Testament, the name Yahweh, the name Jehovah, is by all means His name above every other name. And whenever we read it, we need to stop and consider, how does this apply specifically to our text. I am fond of referring to this name as God's gospel name. It is God's gospel name. The good news of the gospel is embedded in that precious name. That name explains why God sent His Son into the world. It's because He is the I am that I am the unchangeable I am that I am. That's why God did not destroy Adam and Eve after they sinned. Because even though they had forsaken Him, even though they had changed, God comes to them and say, you have changed, but I have not. I am that I am. And because He is the I am that I am. That's why the God who created man has also purposed the redemption of man. And what David so eloquently expresses here is that this gracious God, this God of salvation, this Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a God who desires to bring men into a personal relationship with himself. That's why David confessed he didn't just say, the Lord is the shepherd. No, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. What a beautiful statement that is. Oh, this is Jehovah. This is the God of heaven and earth. The God of redemption. The God who gave his only begotten son. The God who will never go back on his word. The God whose promises are all yea and amen in Christ. And dear child of God, this 
magnificent God, this glorious God, this covenant-keeping God, this promise-keeping God, this God is your shepherd. And of course, we read John 10 because the New Testament, and especially the ministry of Christ, further enlightens us about the identity of Jehovah. Because in John 10, Christ identifies Himself as Jehovah. He said, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. So ultimately, when we read Psalm 23, we may apply this to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God's children may say by faith, the Lord Jesus Christ is my shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, he said, giveth his life for the sheep. And so ultimately what happened in the fullness of time, in order to be the Savior of sheep, to be the Savior of sinners, the shepherd the shepherd of Israel, became a sheep. He became a man. He assumed our human nature. So that the Lord Jesus Christ is both the shepherd and the sheep united in one person. And in Israel, a shepherd would have to purchase his sheep in order for them to claim ownership. And dear child of God, that's what the shepherd has done. This glorious shepherd, your shepherd, who became a sheep in the fullness of time in order to purchase you, in order to bring you into his flock. He shed his precious blood. He gave himself on Calvary's cross. He gave himself as a ransom for your soul. Because without that sacrifice, without the cross, without the shedding of His blood, it would be impossible for there to be a relationship between God and men. God who is the infinitely holy one, we who are infinitely unholy. And that's why this shepherd had to become a sheep in the fullness of time. That's why he had to give himself as a sacrifice for sin. That's why the words of Zechariah 13 verse 7 are so remarkable, a prophecy about the suffering of Christ. We read there, awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd. Smite the shepherd. That's what happened. The shepherd was smitten on Calvary's cross. That's why it is not accidental that John introduced him to the people of Israel, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. The shepherd became a lamb. The shepherd became a sheep in order to be a sacrifice for sin, in order to secure the redemption of his people, in order to purchase them so that they could become his sheep. That's so beautiful that David here, as I said before, calls him my shepherd. One commentator says, 
This is probably the most beautiful word in that text. The Lord is my shepherd. And again, Luther has famously said that true religion is a matter of personal pronouns. This is a personal pronoun. Because congregation, ultimately, there is no real comfort in knowing that he is the shepherd of sheep, the shepherd of sinners. We need to know, I need to know, you need to know that he is your shepherd. There, that's the real comfort. In a couple of weeks, we will begin with the Heidelberg Catechism. What is the only comfort in life and death? To know that I do not belong to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. To know that I belong to Him. To know that He is mine. The congregation, I'm here to tell you that this shepherd wants you to know that He is your shepherd. This shepherd does not want you to live in doubt about your relationship. This shepherd wants to use his word and the sacraments to bring you to that assured confidence that he is also your shepherd. That's why so significantly at the Lord's table, God's servants, as we hand the bread to our people, we say that this is my body, which is broken for you. That's God's desire. That's why I began my sermon the way I did. That is a truth the devil wants to rob you of. To know that God is my God, to know that Christ is my shepherd, belongs to the foundational privileges of the people of God. Just like you go out of your way to make sure that your infant child understands who you are as soon as possible. There is nothing you desire so much as for that child to recognize that special relationship that unites you. And so God does not desire His people to spend their entire life in doubt and in darkness. We read it together from John 10. I have come, He says, that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. Oh, the Lord knows His people by name. He knows all of you by name. If He knows the names of the stars, as the Bible tells us, then you can rest assured that He knows His people by name. That's why He so often identifies Himself, reveals Himself by using His name in connection with the names of His people. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And many times he refers to himself as the God of Jacob. Happy is he that has the God of Jacob for his help. And dear believer, not only is he the God of Jacob, but if by the grace of God you belong to the sheep of Christ, if by the grace of God you know him and you love his voice and you follow him, then you may fill in your own name. Then I am here to tell you on behalf of the chief shepherd, that if by the grace of God you have taken refuge to this Christ, if by the grace of God you have come to Him, if by the grace of God you have found in Him the solution for your guilty and polluted soul, if this Christ has become your all and in all, then I am here to tell you that He is your shepherd. 
that therefore you shall not want. Because that sweet confession is then expressed in a sure confidence. And I have to be relatively brief here, but that's okay. Because ultimately, the rest of the psalm explains what that means. I shall not want. Because he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. His rod and his staff comfort me. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. And his mercy and his goodness, they follow me all the days of my life. And I will ultimately dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the portion of God's people. This is the privilege of the sheep of this shepherd. And so David really, in the rest of the psalm, he unpacks for us precisely what that means. I shall not want. I shall not lack anything. Does that mean that in the lives of God's people that everything always works out just the way they would like it? No, that does not mean that. Of course, the life of God's children is marked by trials and by afflictions. But David is referring not so much to our temporal well-being, but he is saying this shepherd is committed to our spiritual well-being. And in that sense, we shall not want That's what Paul means in Romans 8 when he says that all things, without exception, all things must work together for good, for our spiritual good. And then this shepherd will use our trials and afflictions to accomplish that as well. But David looked over his life, and he could all he could say. This shepherd has cared for me. This shepherd has provided me. I have lacked nothing. And so we could face an unknown future and say, because I did not want in the past, I will not want today, and I will not want in the future. But again, my dear congregation, dear people of God, in order to achieve that, Your Savior faced a reality in which he lacked everything. We could say on Calvary's cross that he was the only sheep that has ever been utterly forsaken by God. In order to be your shepherd, in order to secure your salvation, he was deprived of everything. He lacked everything. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the answer to that question is, so that you, his sheep, would never be forsaken. He was deprived of everything in order that you could become a partaker of all that he has accomplished by his perfect sacrifice on the cross. Paul writes in Romans 8.32, I quoted it last Sunday as well, he that spared not his own son, he who did not spare the shepherd, 
but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. Oh, what a privilege it is to be one of the sheep of this shepherd. David recognized that God was so committed to him, to his well-being, that he could confidently say, I shall not want. And dear believer, if you, if you are one of the sheep of the shepherd, tell me, when you look back in your life, has this shepherd ever failed you? Have you ever lacked anything? Has there ever been a time that he did not sustain you? Must you not look back on your life and say, I must say with David, I have never wanted anything. This shepherd has always cared for me. This shepherd has always provided for me. Psalm 34, verse 9 and 10, expresses that so beautifully. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. And listen carefully. For there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing, shall not lack any good thing. And so, that gives us confidence for the unknown future. We do not know what the future brings. But this we know. If we belong to this shepherd, if we belong to the sheep of this shepherd, is that he will care for you every single day. He will guide you, Psalm 48. He will guide us even until death. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I do know that also tomorrow He will be my shepherd, that also tomorrow He will care for me, that tomorrow He will provide for me, tomorrow He will shepherd my soul. Think of how faithfully He shepherded His people through the wilderness, the wilderness. Even though they had to be in that wilderness as a chastisement for their unbelief. Yet, he never forsook his people. He remained with his people. He dwelt in their midst. He provided for them for all their needs. Now, Nehemiah expresses that beautifully in chapter 9, verse 21, where he says, Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. That's why in Hebrews 13, verse 5, the apostle could say so boldly to the Hebrew believers, be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the amazing thing about this shepherd. Even though we so often as sheep we misbehave ourselves, and sometimes we misbehave ourselves very grievously. 
Yet our unfaithfulness will never cancel His faithfulness. Because after all, our shepherd is the I am that I am. A God who will never fail to do what He says, who will never fail to keep His word, who will never fail to keep His promises, which are yea and amen in Christ. And that chief shepherd, that shepherd will ultimately bring us home. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5 verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And that's, of course, how the psalm ends. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, dear believer, you shall not want. This shepherd is invested in you. He is invested in your well-being. He is invested in your spiritual growth. He is invested in your protection. This is a shepherd who will leave no stone unturned to promote your spiritual well-being. What a privilege to belong to that flock. What a privilege to be a sheep of that shepherd. So I want to conclude by asking you, My dear friend, as you are here today, do you know that this shepherd is your shepherd? Can you say on biblical grounds that you belong to his flock? Do you belong to those who know him, who hear his voice, who follow him? Do you belong to those for whom this shepherd is everything for whom he has become our all and in all. Because if he's not your shepherd, you will perish. That's ultimately what we see all around us, human beings who are running to the everlasting abyss of hell itself. That's the trajectory of the life of those who do not belong to this flock. And what a wonder it is that this shepherd is still in the business of taking sinners and bringing them into that flock. That this shepherd still comes and speaks to sinners and invites them to come to him, promising them that he will in no wise cast them out. Because congregation, this is not reaching too high. This is the only comfort in life and death. And if Christ is not your shepherd, if on biblical grounds you do not belong to that flock, then a dreadful future awaits you. And I would be utterly unfaithful as your pastor if I would hide that truth from you. But the reason God's Word reveals it is because God has no pleasure in your death. He wants you to realize what the consequences are if you continue to follow the false shepherd, Satan, who will lead you to everlasting destruction. And so while he proffers peace and pardon, oh, let us hear his voice today. Lest if our hearts should harden, we should perish in the way. And dear believer,
Do not live below your privileges. Do not live below the privilege of confessing with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because it so delights the Lord, it so pleases that shepherd. When his children so understand the gospel, so understand his word, that they make this confession their own. And may God grant that to all of us, that we can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd, and therefore I shall not want. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we humbly thank Thee for the gift of Thy Word, for the privilege of having been here this morning, of hearing about this great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom in order to save fallen sons and daughters of Adam and to bring us into his blessed flock. Lord, we pray that this instruction would be to the encouragement of those in our midst who love this shepherd. And we pray that thou would so bless thy word that we too would be able to echo the words of David that thou art our shepherd and therefore we shall not want. And if we do not yet belong to this flock, O God, wilt thou work in us mightily and irresistibly. Use thy word to awaken us to the awful reality of being outside of this Christ. Give us no rest until we may know that we too belong to the flock of this shepherd. Go with us the remainder of this day. Gather with us again in this evening hour and hear us for Christ's sake. Amen.